Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. I'm David Lally. I produce the show, and today I'm taking over. I'm going to interview none other than Brian Buffini. I'm putting him in the hot seat for our show today. Welcome to your own show, Brian. Thanks for having me to my own show, David. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> very welcome. So here's why I'm doing this. I've reviewed content recently, the incredible momentum of the show, the impact that's out there. And we reached out to our network, asked them what they wanted to hear, and we got flooded with a request for more questions with you. Just getting a little insight into who Brian Buffini is. I have questions too. I've known you a long time, but there's a lot of stuff I've never asked you. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Today is the day. I've worked for you for 14 years. I've watched you predict recessions, predict booms, the housing market. You've helped a lot of people. You have a great knack for figuring out what's coming next. But you don't know what's coming next in this interview. <laughs> I got some good questions. I've got some that are for me, but I've got a lot from your listeners. And the great thing is this is going to be straight from the cuff because he doesn't know what's coming. Fire away. Do your worst, Lally. Love it. By the way, you people don't know who this man is. This is an act of courage on which most people would not be comfortable with. David Lally is not only the producer of the show, he's the head of the content department at Buffini Company and leads a tremendous team. He's also international musical sensation, as they say back home. His band, Brogue Wave, which does, incidentally, the Cliffs of Moher, which is our intro song, the best original score of a podcast, I think. And, um, I have to agree. But an independently free-spirited man who doesn't know the concept of yes, boss. So for me to put myself under this, I just want to say I'm uh, advocating for myself. I have no idea what he's going to ask me. Let me just put it this way. This recording might never make the airways. That's what I'm <laughs> I'm betting. There's a 50-50 chance. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I don't ever see it going live, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> 14 years. I, I have worked for you for a long time. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you doing this. That is true. You do not know what I'm going to be asking. <laughs> um, I do know something, though. I've spent long hours with you uh, working on content and traveling the country and the world even. For those who don't know, just a bit of your story. I've met your mom and dad in Ireland and here. They're absolute fantastic people, huge influence on you. What did you get from each one of them? George and Therese Buffini. Uh, let's see. Got married in 1957. Spent seven years engaged. So they were saving up for a house. They said, if we can't afford a house, we shouldn't get married. Hmm. So they've been doing a line, as they say, since 1950. Nice. Live in the same house the whole time. George, he was the, can you put your name to that? So your words, your bond, you know, do the right thing, do it the right way. So I'd say that was a big thing for him. He was also, you know, work for himself. So the self-employed gene came down through him. My dad loves to laugh as much as any guy I ever know. And mm -hmm. he's, he's late 80s now, but he's had a group of friends for generations. Like a lot of his older friends obviously have all passed on, but now there's a younger generation beneath that that love him. And uh, he's a member of a golf club out there in Ireland called Newlands. I just never saw anybody who liked to laugh like my dad. And so having the crack as they say at home the fun times and whatever else i think that has passed on through me i like to have a few laughs as you know uh -huh. you've been around me and my brothers when we get going and it's it's pretty uh it's hard to be around <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be around i mean it is i genuinely have walked away several times just just to get a breath <laughs> yeah it is funny and now my kids are like that my kids love to have a good mm -hmm. time like that so i think at that my mom my mom was my champion so from a very early age, my mom would say, you can do it, Bryony. Mm. You can do it. 
So I would say I kind of have the soul of my mother. My mother's very competitive. You got a picture, Ireland. We were the only people on our street for decades with the phone, you know, because mm. my dad had a business. My mother was the first woman on our street to learn how to drive a car. She learned to drive at 52. Wow. In fact, she used to reverse up. We had a Morris Minor. People have to Google what a Morris Minor looks like. She used to reverse up the street, turn around and reverse back. So she could go backwards great and it wasn't great at going forwards. And she learned how to drive. And my dad played golf and she, she then learned how to play golf when all the kids had left the house or had gone to college or whatever. And then she became a great golfer and they won tournaments together and she, she founded the girls, you know, competitive golfing. And so my mom is, you can do it, Bryony, belief, very competitive. Mm-hmm. She's just radically positive. You know, think about this. Five boys all move away. Right. Ireland in the 80s, very economically challenged environment. My oldest brother went to college in America to play soccer. Then my next older brother, John, came to the States, and he started a, a business out here. And then I came, and then, then my two younger brothers came. Mm. You know, think about it. You have five guys. I have six kids. Five boys that move 7,000 miles away. I've been here 31 years. Never once has my mother ever lamented the fact that we left. Never she ever made me feel guilty. She left there there in the house by themselves. So a ferocity to her selflessness. Mm -hmm. I would say they've been a huge influence on me in both ways, definitely. That's a very selfless move Mm -hmm. on her part, right? That she's never made you feel how much she misses you. And she does both of them do, obviously. I mean, misses all of you guys. Sure. But uh, I, I mean, that's certainly come through. Like you are very outwardly focused. You've met a lot of people along the way. You influence people today. And I mean, this podcast alone is going out to over 130 countries. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. But in your journey, who influenced you as well? I mean, your parents, obviously, big influence. Who were the early influencers for you? I, I was looking for influences because, you know, I came here, I was 19, got in a motorcycle accident and, you know, medical bills. And I've told people my story. I was a driven kid. I went looking for influences. You know, there were gaps. And everybody has gaps. Your parents do whatever. You know, I'm fortunate to have two people that are married together for 60 years and yada, yada. I know everybody doesn't get that. But no matter how great your parents are, there's natural gaps. Like for my kids, I cannot be everything that my kids need, nor can Beverly be everything the kids need. Mm -hmm. There's other people they need. There's coaches, there's mentors, there's influences. Mm -hmm. That's why it's very important who they connect with and, and so on and so forth. But if you're driven at all, you better go and find out what people do. And I started realizing that there are people who'd come before me, who'd been there, done that. And there was many of these people who had and were willing to share how they got where they were. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially in America, I found that. And so with seminars and tapes and books and then also people I met on Life's Journey that were successful people, I'd say, hey, could we get together for a bite to eat sometime or a cup of coffee? And I just love to, you know, pick your brain. And so many of them were. Mm. I unfortunately don't have as much time to do that. I have a company that does that. We mentor and train and give advice to people all the time. So it's my full-time job. But it's still my favorite form of communication is to take somebody one-on-one and sit down and have the chat. I, I might get four or 5,000 requests for that a year now. You know, it might take somebody a few years and it's a relationship of some sort that I have. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I just I went to lunch the other day with a young man who was a great young fella who was hungry to grow and learn and it seemed to really impact him. You know, that's my favorite thing in the world. Mm. So, and probably because that's what happened to me. People did that for me. 
I mean, you take that for granted. You've done that your whole life. But when I first met you, when I saw the way that you operate, that was always uh, something very new for me. That's a natural filter that you have in life, that you're looking to learn, looking to have that one-on-one connection with someone and, and learn what was their path. You mentioned something there that... that the accident you went through in the US when you came here mm-hmm. and you ended up a quarter of a million dollars in debt as a 19-year-old man. Now, people who have heard that story, it's staggering. I mean, it's hard to believe that you were that much on the back foot um, <laughs> to start off. So you've had influencers, you have a natural curiosity, but that put you back. Mm-hmm. What kept you going through that? Well, you know, sometimes you know having nowhere else to go is a pretty good place Mm. sometimes it's like hey i got nowhere else to go i got no other options i gotta go figure this out Mm -hmm. i wasn't going to sit around i wasn't going to see what the government could do for me i wasn't going to see what someone else could do for me it didn't mean i didn't ask the questions god why me Mm -hmm. it didn't mean i didn't have a few self-indulgent moments zig ziggly used to call it the plum party the poor little old me I definitely had those thoughts right. and, and, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, let's go. And here's the deal. You know, what an opportunity. I mean, look at my life. I mean, to be honest with you, if I'd have known how to turn out, I'd have, I'd have turned into the Buick, you know, and made sure he <laughs> hit me, you know, if that was the price that had to be paid. So, you know, at the end of the day, today, psychology is the number one major in American colleges there's so many television programs and it's, mm. you know, it used to be Dear Abby was the one place that people kind of, <laughs> right. hey, I got a problem, tell me about it. And everyone read the newspaper. Well, now that's a never ending cacophony mm. on every front. And at some point, I mean, and I know this is whatever it is, but sometimes it's like, would you ever get off your arse and go do something? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, get up and go. It's mm. like, what are you going to do? I'm sitting here, I've lived this life for the past 30 years and I was devastated at 19. And I was a millionaire at 26. You know, yeah, it's there to be done. And here's the thing. You know me. Mm. I've learned a lot. I became an educated man after college. I was not an educated person. I wasn't a particularly good student. I was able to take a test, which is why I got whatever I got in school. But, you know, I became a self-educated man. And I went from making a, a living to making a fortune. So if a fellow like me can do it, anybody can do it. I had no resources, no people. You know, you're from Galway. You came here. But, you know, you don't know anybody. You yeah. don't know anything. No. You don't know 100%. the culture. We'll talk later on in podcast to come. That's why I'm writing this book called The Emigrant Edge. Mm. And 50% of uh, millennials in a recent survey said the American dream is no longer possible. Like, that just shatters me. Mm. And here's what I'm going to tell you. That's not true. Mm. That's not true. That's not true. I could take someone off the boat tomorrow that doesn't speak the language, that knows nobody and whatever else, and if they'll follow the formulas for success that are very well lit and have been for hundreds of years, they can become as successful as they want to be. I think that's uh, encouraging to hear. You don't hear a lot of encouraging stuff right now. Yeah. And we'll get into that a a little bit, but I did want to ask you something. So time passes. You're a very driven dude. (laughs) And this is a typical week here. Today is a nice, quiet Thursday morning. You have two podcasts recording <laughs> today. We've just had a very interesting full week. Mm-hmm. There's a little jet up on the wall behind us here in the studio. It's a replica of the Buffini and Company jet. Yeah. And something that I've always marveled at, I have traveled with you on it. It was a bus. Hundreds of times. <laughs> Hundreds of times. And I never thought of it as a jet. I always thought of it, it's the bus. We're on the way somewhere to work mm-hmm. and coming back. And it was a way to get you back with your family and also just made practical sense for the company. Mm-hmm. 
I always, and to this day, still it baffles me as to how you never used it for pleasure. You've got to be the only jet owner who didn't just go, you know what, I'm going to head off to Vegas for the weekend. What is that, do you think? Where did that come from? Uh, let me see. For 16 years, having my own jet, right? So I had three of them. I enjoyed them. You know, I enjoyed 47,000 feet and mm. got over 730 miles an hour a few times, got to Florida in three and a half hours, you know. So I had a good time, and you were on a lot of those jet rides. You actually normally would order the catering to make sure it was up to I your standards because you know, I'm kind of a sample creator. Don't leave that stuff to chance. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the purpose of the jet was that I needed a time machine because I had opportunities at work that were in conflict with my values of being in my kid's life. Mm. And so I had demands and I had the ability to go speak and present. And um, I had seen cautionary tales. There is the hundreds of examples of people who have whether they're public speakers or presenters or people who travel all the time, they've paid big prices at home. Mm. And I wasn't willing to do it. And I got to the point, I even told the CFO, I go, here's the deal, I'll either, I'll either get the plane or I'll do something else. Because I had choices. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, okay, I'll go make money something else. Mm. I'll go do something else. I'll go develop real estate. I'll go do this. Okay, what do we need to do to go make money and create a living? And I'll do that. And I'll find a way to enjoy that. I had an ability to go speak and move people, so I wanted to do that. The jet allowed me to go speak to people in Houston and uh, be home and have dinner with the kids. And so my kids have grown up in a very, very normal environment. It's just that sometimes their dad was in New York in the morning and then read them a bedtime story at night. Right. And it was like anyone else who just went to work and came home. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing, Dave, is when you travel a lot, the last thing you want to do is when you're home is travel. Mm. You know, I have millions of miles that I can catch in on hotels and this and that and the other, whatever else. People say, where's your favorite place to go? And it's home. Mm -hmm. No, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> so, it makes sense. And then the other part is I felt the responsibility. Like, I have people who work very hard at Buffini Company. I have people on bonuses and this and any other, and I never want to lead by example of being mm -hmm. wasteful. And so, you know, I've had hundreds of opportunities to go, and may maybe I should have taken on a few more. I did a few things, but... Mm. You know, I mean, I, okay, you know, they, this guy wants me to do this or go to that show or this movie premiere or all these different things. I was like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm more ham and cheese than I am, you know, quiche. Uh, you know, I'd rather be home with the fam. I'd rather be mm. on the sidelines watching a ball game. I'd rather be coaching. I don't know if you know this story, but my kids used to play in this national championship every year in high school in Missouri. And I would take a week off. And you know what it means for me to take a week off around here with the schedule we have and I would go and drive the bus right? and I would drive an hour a day one way to get to the games and then be at the games and get their uniforms washed and whatever else and arrange lunch and then drive the bus back. There's a bunch of kids thought I was actually a bus driver. <laughs> now, I got to be honest with you, th that was the greatest thing in the world. Now, nice. they didn't know I flew a Learjet to the tournament with my two kids because my kids know how to keep it all on yeah. the down low. Yeah. And we never really wanted to make it because my kids were just other kids to the rest of them. They just fit in. So I guess in the end of the day, there's no issues or whatever else connected to that. I'm a very ordinary fella and I needed an extraordinary thing like a jet as yeah. transportation to get from A to B and that's as simple as that. I don't bring it up to go, you know, you have a jet, it's amazing. <laughs> I would be probably like most people who their impression of a jet owner or maybe the one that's portrayed out there <laughs> the whole jet world is this let's just say you're not the typical I don't know 
You know, there's a lot of folks who are very, very affluent, who are mm -hmm. very, very down-to-earth, solid people. I was in Texas one time. A fella pulls up in front of me, and uh, he's going through the security gate, and he's got a, an old pickup truck, and it's rusted out, and gets out, and he's about five foot five, and he's got a belt buckle that looks like a manhole cover, and old faded jeans and boots and he's there and he's talking to some Mexican lad who's working on the line and they're having a good laugh and this and that and the other and getting along great and you know they're exchanging pleasantries and then I see these two pilots coming out and I knew it I knew what was coming I knew what was coming and I turned to the pilots and I go which one of the jets is his and there were four jets in a row and it was like it was like the three bears you know giant mid-giant large and good-sized and the pilot goes, all of them. Wow. He owns all of them. Probably $200 million worth of aircraft. And, you know, I've met guys like that. Now, I've also met some of the most pretentious. I'll tell you this. You want a bit of dirt? Go on. You want a bit of dirt? Go on. When I wasn't using the jet the last couple of years, I started not traveling as much. I had it sitting out there. I wasn't using it. So we chartered it. So we would have, you know, many celebrities and uh. movie stars and whatever else. And we had some very famous reality stars rent the plane. The worst people in the world. Trash the plane, empty the drawers. We'd have little niceties and cookies and things for people and mouthwashes and toothbrushes. They'd take it all, trash the place. Now, here's the deal. They couldn't afford to buy a plane. They couldn't wow. afford. They weren't the real deal. And they trashed the bleeding thing. So huh. what I found with money, it's the faux money people mm -hmm. are the real jerks. Mm -hmm. I, there was a lot of that, and I met a lot of that. So you'd be surprised. There's a lot of uber, uber successful people who are as solid as the day is long. There's a lot of Johnny Jump Ups on the way up mm -hmm. who have a bit of money, and what they have is a lot of snobbery, and they play the game, and there's real fake. I want no part of that, and right. I've seen a lot of it. And uh, it was an interesting dynamic. We did it for one year, and it was fascinating. It was lovely. It was lovely to tell some of these people, no. Mr. Buffini won't rent his jet to you this week. Huh. Go to pound sand. Wow. Are you still your parents' son? <laughs> <laughs> and Irish. <laughs> yeah, right. That's great. We have questions from the network, from people out there. I want to get into a few of those. Okay. Lawrence Scott asked a lot of your advice is about knowing your clients, giving excellent customer service, and follow-up. Why do you think so many people don't get that through common sense? Well... Common sense is not common practice. Hmm. I think common sense is in tremendous decline. Recent Time magazine, the cover of Time magazine said, is truth dead? Think about that. Wow. You know, that's part of the world we're living in today. Hmm. My kids are active in sports. I watch obsessive compulsive parenting that won't allow their kids to struggle. Their kids not getting playing time. They flip out, accuse coaches and people of all kinds of things. In everything. I, I see it in sports. I see it in school. I see it in activities. People are so afraid to have their kids endure any kind of difficulty that they are absolutely setting their kids up for failure, breeding entitlement, mm. and common sense is going out the window. Here's the deal. My mother and father had no problem telling me no. The world's become a very interesting place. Like the intentions of political correctness you know, was to knock out the abuses of things, mm. like racism and bigotry and sexism and all the isms and da-da-da-da-da. And then the flip side of it is it becomes its own culture of even censorship and basically thought police. You get dynamics where the breakdown of the family, you get, you know, principles, you get, you know, things that are tried and true, things of faith, then get mixed with dogmas of religion. 
you have people's reaction to religious wounding and all of a sudden the next thing you know those principles that have been around for thousands of years that really helped a lot of people are now political hot buttons you can't talk about those things hmm. i know that's not really what you asked me hmm. but i would say this i'm okay taking shots and i get the uh, occasional strange email or whatever else fine no problem i have no problem advocating for principles that have lasted a long time here's the deal the Ten Commandments are 7,000 years old. It was a bad idea 7,000 years ago to kill your neighbor. It's still a bad idea today. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so there's principles. And mm -hmm. I believe principles don't change. I believe tactics do. And you have to change with the times and, mm -hmm. and the tactics and the applications. But I will say this. What's my secret to success is I've gone back to those that came before me that laid a well-laid path and said, do this. Mm -hmm. And I did that. I, I met with a young man the other day and I said, if you will follow these principles, you will succeed. Not if, not and. I wasn't selling him anything. Right. He wasn't signing up for anything. I just really wanted to help the kid. And I, if you follow these principles, you're going to succeed. Hmm. Why? Because the principles are thousands of years old that have worked for thousands of years. And whether it be religious people, whether it be philosophers, whether it be generals, whether it be war leaders, you know, principles don't change. And so... Now, I do believe in their heart of hearts, people know common sense when they hear it. In their heart of hearts, I think people can discern truth. I agree with that, yeah. And in their heart of hearts, people know, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then they have to make choices and decisions. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to feel like the hare and the tortoise if you follow principles. Uh, if you follow common sense, you'll feel like you're not going to get rich enough, you're not going to get smart enough, your family's not going to do well enough. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, just like the hare and the tortoise, the tortoise is going to win. This question is, is kind of connected to that. Randy uh, Zimnuk in San Diego, California asked, how do you recommend applying your principles and beliefs to create a culture that attracts the right people? And he's specifically talking about business there. Mm -hmm. How do you recommend applying those principles and beliefs to create a culture? That well, uh, again, the reason I, I'm very confident in what I say is because, and there's a difference in confidence and arrogance, right? But I'm very confident in what I say because of my life. Mm. You want to know what I'm really like? come and see me with my wife, mm -hmm. or come and ask my wife. You want to know what I'm really like? Come and see my kids. You want to know what I'm really like? Come and tour Buffining Company. Mm -hmm. One woman said, okay, I love your stuff. I love this podcast you did on the restaurant cycle, but how does it work practically? I was like, I have never not had a practical advice in my life. Right. Because the reason this show exists, it's I interview people who've been there and done that, not people who've said that and thought this. Right. And so these principles I've applied inside Buffining Company. Okay, how would you describe Buffini Company? How would you describe the culture of several hundred employees of this company? I mean, it just got voted one of the best places to work <laughs> in San Diego. Right. It's very different. It is very different. I'm 14 years there, and it's wild. It really is. I've seen people who Thousands leave. Thousands of people want to come, yeah. They do. People leave and go, you know, I'm going to try something else. And then they get out into the real world, and it's, it is actually the real world compared to Buffini Company because it's a special place for sure. So, uh, so how do I do it? Like, I'd say the same thing for my business as my life when I was. The day I stopped growing, probably Buffini Company's in trouble. Mm. I applied principles, and so I don't have all the answers. So I surrounded myself with smart people. Here's the vision. Mission is to impact and improve the lives of people. Are you interested in doing that? Mm. Okay, here's the core values. Here's how we go do that. And we have a series of core values. We have every month uh, an all-servant leader meeting, right? So the way our organization works is I'm the first person to serve the needs of the next person. Mm. I'm not here to be served by 200 people. I'm here to serve 200 people. And if I serve them right, then the leader, the CEO, my brother Dermot, he's next. He's got to lead the executive team. They've got to lead the managers. They've got to lead the supervisors. They've got to lead the teams. 
and then they've got to serve our clients. And so if I start by serving, then everyone else is served. So every month that they all serve and need a meeting for 21 years, every single month, we start off, what's our mission? Mm. What are our core values? The core values are how we serve, how we interact with one another, and how we interact with our customers and serve them. And it's real. It's not some, mm. no offense, and I get in trouble here. Right now, United Airlines has a mission statement. It says, come fly the friendly skies. Recently, there's a video gone viral mm. about a dude getting pulled out of his seat, dragged down the aisles to make way for a United Airlines employee to take their seat mm. that they paid for. Mm -hmm. Here's the deal. And that could happen to anybody, and it's a big company. And I, by the way, I'm the first guy to defend companies that are trying to do the right thing. And everyone makes mistakes. And I'm not just backing off. I'm making an example of them, though. Here's the problem. The problem for United Airlines is their core values and their mission statement don't align with what they do on a daily basis. Mm. I'm going to say this, and I don't know United Airlines. I don't know the executives at the company. But I can tell you this. For a long time, they've been a very unfriendly airline. Mm. And I believe this. I believe the company probably hasn't had the back of the flight attendants. And then the flight attendants don't have the back of the clients. That's mm. my guess. And then it shows up at a critical time. And now you've got the CEO coming out and he's doing apologies and he's doing this and he's doing that. And else. Here's the thing. The problem with United Airlines is not one anecdotal problem that happened on one flight. Mm. That's been going on a long time. Their brand is come fly the friendly skies. Mm. Southwest Airlines does not say anything about that. They say they're low price. Mm. But they're the friendly airlines. Right. People love them. Right. And you don't even get a seat. People love them and you get a drink that goes in the size of a thimble. People love them mm. and you get a packet of peanuts. And people love them. So here's the thing. If you look at Herb Kelleher and what his core values are, long after the guy's been the day-to-day -day operator, it's all throughout the company. And so the thing is this. Is the mission really to impact and improve the lives of people? Or is the mission, Brian, to impact and improve your bottom line and your pocketbook? Right. And at the end of the day, people know. Mm -hmm. People can tell. Yeah. So work on yourself. Grow yourself. Be authentic to who you are. Be authentic to what you say you want to do. And then live it. Mm. And trust that doing the right thing will bring the right result. Oh, yeah. And uh, then you start attracting people. Here's the thing. My kids and my family, that's my first if you ask me the thing I'm most happy about or proud of in my life, it'd start with my family. The next thing would be my staff, hmm. you know? And the next thing would be my customers. I'm really proud of my customers. Oh, yeah. You know why? Because they treat their customers great. So that's it. I don't really have anything after that. The jet doesn't make the list. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting me ramped up here. I know, I know. Ramped sorry. Up. <laughs> Valesa Linian. Uh, Valesa, I hope I got your name correct, in Anchorage, Alaska. Nice. Whenever you present, you're always so upbeat and energetic, but I know you probably don't always feel that way. How do you boost your energy when you're having a down day so that you always bring your best to us? Well, good timely question. I've had a couple of intense uh, three, four weeks here. I have seven businesses. I have a very busy life. I have very active kids and kids going to college and kids doing a lot of other things and world championships for my daughter and horse riding and whatever else. And I've had a week from H-E double hockey sticks. Mm. So what do I do? I try to grab good minutes. Mm. Like I had a couple of good moments yesterday, and I had a few good moments the day before, and that's what I do. At the end of the day, my wife has some advice she gave me 27 years ago, which is this too shall pass. Mm. And it does. And by the way, that's the same when you're on top of the mountain, you know. This too shall pass. Life is not easy. Life is challenging. Life has built in some, there is sadness and difficulties built in there's a lot of 
the positive motivational culture that I've heard, I've been part of, that people at our events go, you know, they've never had a bad day. Mm. I just don't believe it. But I think the bottom line is, I have a phrase that says it's a good life. It's a good life. It's not always a great life. It's not always awesome. <laughs> but it's a good life. And it all works together for good. I think it's it's a way of looking at the world. It's a way of viewing your life. And it helps for me to have a bit of faith. That I go, okay, you know, I don't know, but God, I know you do. So I'm going to just put my head down and do what I'm supposed to do. And then there's things I do. There's certain music I listen to. There's books I'll read. There's certain things I'll go back and read or listen to all the time mm. to get me back into a spot. I had a house fire, as you know, and I had journals, and I would go back and read journals and things like that. So there's a bunch of disciplines. Then I would say this. There's a lot of help in your daily routines. Yeah. You know, that all heck is breaking loose. What time do you get up, and what do you do to start your day? You know, for my wife and I, we get up, we have a prayer of gratitude, we go and read separately. Sometimes we'll do a little meditation or prayer or whatever, and then get up and work out and get the day going and eat the right thing for breakfast. And here's the thing. At 7 o'clock, I've had a good day. Mm. I had a good day today. I've had a rough few weeks. I had a great day today. I had a great day today by 7 o'clock. You know what? I was in total control of that. Mm. So that's the deal, right? Uh, we had Justin Forsett on the podcast, one of my favorite all-time podcasts. Great story of nine years of unbelievable perseverance in the NFL and one step back after another after another. But he's like, hey, you know, focus on what you can control. Right. So I can control my attitude and I can control my effort. What drives you nuts? Mm, I'm an Irishman, so <laughs> they don't call us the calm Irish, right? They, <laughs> right. We're a little feisty. Ingratitude hmm. drives me nuts. People being careless with uh, people's hearts. Yeah. That drives me nuts. Entitlement. That drives me nuts. If I was to really say the thing that hurts me the most is the untapped potential. Huh. It kind of grieves my soul when I see someone who's really talented or gifted. And I haven't met anybody who didn't have talents and gifts. Huh. They've either got a closed mindset to it, they gave up and didn't persevere. I think that's the one that probably is the biggest one. Yeah. It's probably the source of my own drive, Huh? is to make sure that my potential and talent doesn't get left on a shelf somewhere. And you, you do that for other people. I've been around your family a long time. Your kids are... Awesome. Solid as a rock. Do you have concerns for them? They're going to be the next generation taking over the planet. Mm -hmm. What's the fears that you have about what they're stepping into? I try not to live by fear. So a good example would be what do Beverly and I pray for, right? Mm. So that's probably, you know, the things you're concerned about. I mean, we pray for their spouses, probably since they were born, hmm. that they'd find somebody who comes from, you know, a solid place and is able to be on the journey with them, embrace happiness. There's an awful lot of people that um, I've kind of decided that at an unconscious level to not be happy, to be broken. I'm from brokenness. I'm going to end up like a homing pigeon hmm. being broken. And I, I think, here's the thing, cycles can be broken and, you know, where you came from doesn't dictate where you go. Hmm. I mean, I came from nothing and I'm not, I don't have nothing anymore. My kids didn't come from nothing and that, it seems like they're on their path to make sure that their kids aren't going to come from nothing. So those patterns can be broken. Hmm. I, that's probably my biggest concern. My oldest son is married, and he married a fantastic woman. And, I, you know, I think the greatest thing is you grow as a person, you attract who you are. And so that's my greatest hope for the kids, is uh, they keep growing and keep developing as people. They're going to find who they should be with because of who they are. Right. 
That would be the biggest one. Yeah, that's awesome. So what is next for you? What gets you excited about the future? It turns out I'm not done. You know, we had an idea for this little podcast, and I said, no, you know what? If we're going to do it, let's do it right. And, you know, we could have started with a $700 studio done now the garage. <laughs> right. And we built this state-of-the-art studio and whatever else. And you know me. I did it to be intentional because I'm going to make this kind of financial commitment to kind of show the company and the people around me. Now, I'm really going to make a commitment here to go mm-hmm. do something. And business consultants, whatever, well, but you don't have any sponsors and you just don't charge advertising and you're not selling anything. Right. And why in the hell would you do something like this? And it takes a lot of time. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in the law of the harvest. You know, now we're at the spot where we started off with this program and it was we had, you know, a couple thousand people tuned in and they were all, you know, our favorite clients. And then it grew from there and then we hit a million and now we're at... 200,000 a month and the Mm. next thing you know it's a million a month and great I think the world is drowning in information starving for wisdom Mm. I want to share whatever I have but ultimately I want to share from other people and other sources that I trust that have have got something to share that will help people Mm. and I'm voracious in that I'm voracious in that and I'm more passionate I'm 31 years at this and I'm more fired up than I was the day I started. I mean, you see me, I'm like... No, that's a fact. <laughs> ...going at it and, <laughs> a fact. and fired up. So I think, you know, having a new vision and continue to expand, I think the basic rule for an entrepreneur is find a need, fill a need. Mm. Then do it with purpose, then do it with passion, and then be yourself, and your values show up in an authentic way. And and then you make sure that there's a, you know the market drives something, and you, you have a basic income less expenses equal profit model to do it you know i'm able to do this because i worked my butt off for 21 years at buffini company building a very profitable business that serves that's become best of brand one out of every eight homes in america sold through our clients in real estate now we have 44 45 other business industries that people we come and coach and train and Mm -hmm. and it expands and now we're getting people who call us every day going hey i want to buy and sell a home can you recommend a realtor so we're going to do something with that to help people find a realtor and now you know we sat down yesterday and you whipped out as the producer and you go let's take a look and here's 139 countries i gotta be honest with you we looked up the map because there was a couple of places to be honest i never heard of absolutely so wherever you are out there god bless you and hopefully uh, the mutterings of the mad irishman are uh, helping you get through the day and giving you a couple of good ideas yeah i mean the reach is great there's no doubt it's fantastic to be part of a podcast that is under its own steam. Yeah. And that's a fairly rare situation to listen in on a show that's not driven by advertising or the needs to, you know, respond to an audience. You're churning out unbelievable content every week. And the reaction, it's nice to see people from across the world, from across well, disciplines. Uh, let's out it. Tell them about the email you got the other day from the advertiser. Tell them. If it's great people you want to get behind the scenes, let's say it behind the scenes <laughs> with the producer. So right. Give them an example. That was an interesting one that just came across the desk the other day. And I suppose because we're now at a certain number of downloads, that information gets out there. The analytics are, you know, they go through an algorithm somewhere and probably gets sped out and sent to a certain level of marketer. And that certain level of marketer reached out to me the other day and said, um, I got an email on Monday and said, by 11 a.m. tomorrow, I must know your answer. We're ready to advertise with you. And that was humorous. And uh, the next morning, I got a very kind follow-up email 
that was, excuse me, the uh, deadline is approaching <laughs> and we are ready for you. And so I, I sent a very, uh, there's a, there's a kind very There's a very phrase now we use in Ireland that says, don't let the door hit you in the arse on the way out. <laughs> you know, here's my encouragement to people. You know, so many folks, you know, parents are millennials and millennials. So many millennials, I love the fact that they want to make a difference. They want to be involved in something that, that's meaningful. They want to have purpose and passion in their life mm-hmm. and whatever else. And then they just don't want to pay their dues. They want to develop an app and sell it for a billion dollars, and it took 18 days or something. <laughs> Here's the deal. I busted my hump for 20 years, saved my money, didn't spend more than I made, invested the money, mm-hmm. built a fortune, invested in people. My greatest assets drove home every day, so I took great care of those people. They wanted to stay. The average employee is with me 14 years or something in Southern California, which is... Slightly flaky. Uh, it's unheard of. Ah, the sun changed. I'm leaving. Whatever. Here's the bottom line. I did that for 20 years so I could go do something like a yes. podcast and not need some low-life advertiser that I don't believe in their product or would mm. help their client. Whatever. It's just write me a check and I'm going to leverage it like everyone else does. I don't have to. Mm. I don't have to. Everybody wants to get to heaven. No one wants to die to get there. I worked my butt off to get to this spot so I can do this stuff. Mm. And so I can sit down with you, and you're the producer, and you're an empowered person at Buffini Company. You said, Brian, I think people need to know this stuff. I have a bunch of questions. Let's do a podcast. And I go, great, because I've surrounded myself with a lot of talent like you, and I empower people like you to do your job, and then you do it better than I have an idea for. And so that's why we're doing this show today. So we'll find out. If, if we get all the hate mail, it's going straight to you. Yeah, that's course. all i got to say. Of course. <laughs> In that case, I got some rapid fire questions okay. for you. Okay. So, when you do an interview, you always like to hit your guest up with some rapid fire. So, I have some for you. Nice. So, when you think of the word success, who comes to mind? Mm. <laughs> the first name that jumped into my mind is the person who would think he was the least likely to be successful in the world. And that would be my dad. Wow. If you ask George Buffini, he's a success, he would That's burst awesome. out laughing. But he's a success. Awesome. Many people don't know this. In fact, really, probably no one outside of this building knows this. When you meet someone, you have a conversation with them. You recommend a book, but you don't just recommend a book. You go, I've seen you do it hundreds and hundreds of times. I'm going to get a book for you. And you're sending out almost 1,500 books a year to people (laughs) as a gift. I don't know if you wanted to know that number. (laughs) I dug in and found that. What is the book you give out most to people? Hmm. Other than my own, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, I, okay. You're hitting me up here. I'm supposed to be rapid fire. If you've seen the shelves, there's shelves and then there's bookshelves and there's bookcases. Mm-hmm. And we have multiple coffees. So I have different books for different situations. Sometimes someone's going through a tough time with their health. And I have a book I'll send there. One of them's. uh Lou Tice's Smart Talk. It's a positive growth book, but anybody who's going through cancer, he documents his wife's recovery from cancer and how they did it through some very positive means. I'll write someone a note and send them that. A lot of young people who don't know where they're going, I'll send them Dr. Seuss's uh, All the Places You'll Go. Some people who've experienced tragedy, loss, real, real heartbreak, something like that. There's a book I send called Trusting God When Life Gets Hard by Jerry Bridges, very close friend of mine, passed away recently. Hmm. He wrote that book after his wife died. You know, no one can empathize with someone with tragic loss, only someone who's experienced tragic loss. Hmm. And Jerry Bridges can reach that person better than I can. 
you know, somebody's getting going with their career or business or something. Uh, anything by Augmentino is always there, but I, the greatest salesman in the world, I send that out a lot. Someone getting their finances going, I'll send them the richest man in Babylon. Somebody doesn't know how to budget, I'll send them Dave Ramsey's total money makeover. Yeah. So it's prescription. And the reason it's such a long-winded answer is it depends on the type of complaint I come in contact with or the challenge that somebody's facing or whatever else. Makes sense. It's a prescription type deal. And I enjoy it. And then the other part is this. If I send somebody a book and they don't read it, that tells me all I need to know too. Mm. When someone responds back and said, here's what I got from it and here's what I'm going to do with it, now you got something. Yeah. If I send somebody a book that's very much pertinent to the conversation we had and the next time I connect with them or whatever else and they haven't done anything with it, I won't do anything else with that person. Mm. And that may sound like tough to somebody, but it's, you know, my life is, is too busy to deal with just talkers. Mm. Like, if you want me to just kind of give you, you know, an emotional lift every time. And then there's people who do that. You know, they, they think I'm like the Tesla recharge station. <laughs> and I had to learn that. It's like, no, no, that person's a drain. Mm. I'm interested in doers. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, think about that statement. Mm. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, a lot of these old statements and phrases like that there's so much wisdom to mm. them for a reason so I don't want to be around people with good intentions I right. want to be around people who are going to do something more. and just to give context to that I've stood with you at a live event that you're presenting sometimes your own sometimes other people's and I have watched you talk to a line that took six hours to go past you <laughs> so I, I'm just for people listening to this this isn't you saying, ah, oh, you know, you didn't read the book. Well, that's it, you know. <laughs> you're dead to me. <laughs> you know, you're kind of sort You're talking about an interaction, a meaningful interaction with someone. Yeah. And they might have been one of hundreds that you had had that month. Yeah. Or even that week sometimes. It's funny, it even came up in conversation yesterday. We were talking about a live event that's coming up here next month and how part of that has been for years where you do stand in line and meet every single one of the 500 people in attendance there. And that doesn't sound like much until you... I've seen you. Yeah. Uh, that goes anywhere from six to ten hours. Mm -hmm. So again, just to that point, I've gotten books from you, <laughs> for sure. And I've, I never followed up with you. No. <laughs> I've been waiting to be asked out. <laughs> so I didn't read one of them. Free spirit. <laughs> What's something you believe that other people think, well, that's a little bit weird? <laughs> Whoa, where do you start? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay, I'll keep it philosophical. I mean, obviously, I have faith traditions and not everybody's going to have the same faith, but um, I would say this. I believe in the law of the harvest. Hmm. I believe you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow, and you never grow weary in doing good. You'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And I think a lot of people have given, given to people and been hurt, given to their customers and not been rewarded. It takes a ferocity mm. to be a giver. You know, it's funny, uh, we have this event coming up, you're mentioning, it's our smaller, more intimate, it's a very exclusive event, people pay a ton of money to be there, and, and we're going to have this theme about the Wizard of Oz. And one of the things in studying the Wizard of Oz is Dorothy is ferociously optimistic She's this sweetheart little girl with a sweetheart little voice and, and all insanity. And she talks like this and Toto, too. She is a lion. She is ferocious in her optimism. Mm. She is sweetly fierce. Every major evil force in that movie, Dorothy confronts right. with sweetness. 
I think it requires a ferocity to be positive, not weak-mindedness. In our culture, you know, Saturday Night Live skit, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. The people who somehow are positive Mm -hmm. are shallow, flaky, you know, and it doesn't mean there haven't been some applications of that. But I think to be truly positive, it takes a level of character and commitment and ferocity. And I believe that when I give to people, that it comes back. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. We developed a program this year called The Blitz. We had five major opportunities in front of us, many multi-multi-million dollar opportunities to go make money in this and that and the other. And I said, nope, 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 nope. We're going to do this one. And this one, we're going to spend a ton of money and a ton of time and a ton of energy and a ton of resources to go build a training program to give to our existing customers for free. Mm -hmm. Because we think if we give that to them, they're going to be more successful. And if they're more successful, in turn, we'll be more successful. And what happened? The doors blew up with mm-hmm. the number of people signing up to be a part of our program. And a mature business that has a, you know, a glide slope that's pretty predictable. We just gave and gave and gave and exceeded our customers' expectations. And it blew the doors off all of our goals for the year. Huh. I've been living that my whole life. That is something that a lot of people, uh, I don't know that they have the chops for. Yeah, I mean, would like to believe it. Yeah. Just maybe don't act on it. Would love to believe it's true. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Is. <laughs> Brian, thanks for today. I got one last question for you. If you were a listener to this podcast, what would you do? What would I do? Are you mean like would I write the owner of the company and tell him the producer needs a raise type thing? Is that what you're thinking? I don't want to, don't want to put words <laughs> in your mouth there. <laughs> Can you please give David Lally more airtime? Can we promote more of his songs? Is that, what, is that what you're thinking? It's all sounding great. Yeah. Like we talked about giving people books and going to seminars and taking people to lunch and whatever else. Here's what my goal is. So let's see if my goal would match up with somebody's application. I want to put great stuff out there that helps people with their head, Mm. their mindset. Their motivation would be the heart. And then the methodologies would be their hands. Mm. Go and do something, right? So I always try to bring people who have the right head, heart, and they've done stuff so that people can learn from them Mm. and that they listen. And, you know, they're driving to work and where else and so on and so forth. I'll tell you what I do. And then I would hope people would do their own version of this. I would listen to these episodes till I knew them backwards and forwards. Every one of my kids has, we sat down as a family and listened to the interview with Justin Forsett. I have twins, and one of my youngest daughter, she's, she's very small for her age. And Justin Forsett kept saying, I'm too small, I'm too small, I'm too small. I have this stud kid, a 6'2", 190, going to college to play sports. But to play this position, the coach says, you're too small. To play that position, you're this and that and the other. Now, he's gotten a bunch of scholarship offers, and he's going to be just fine. But people are always telling you what box you don't fit into. Hmm. My wife was five foot eight as an outside hitter in volleyball. That's about five inches too short. Hmm. She wasn't even invited to the tryouts, and, and yet she was the coach's award winner and did all these amazing things for the U.S. volleyball team. Every one of my family has been told, you're not this, you're not that, you're not that. That's what people do. Mm. So I had them sit down and listen to Justin for a second. Now, here's the thing. I went along the other day, and the guys were in the car, and they were driving to practice, and they were listening to Justin Forsett by themselves. That's awesome. Eat the meat and throw away the bones. I mean, I would listen to these ones. There's some of these that are going to resonate with people more than mm-hmm. others. I would listen, listen. Yeah, I guess you guys have show notes you build for the show. Mm-hmm. I would follow up with the show notes. and I'd, Where do they get those things? They can go uh, to thebrianbuffinishow.com. And uh, we post, it's a summary of the episode. And, you know, obviously there's a link to the music there that's the most important part of the thing. 
<laughs> oh my god i'm sorry this is supposed to be without commercial uh sponsorship advertising but we found a way apparently inspired by his recent email the producer of the show has decided to become that but you know i recommend a book and we put on there the link so you have your whole team and they do a great job with it uh, okay we recommend a book go get the book mm-hmm. and, and then here's the next radical out of the box disruptor content you read the freaking book you buy. How about that? How about you shut off the bleeding phone? How about you get your nose out of uh-huh. Instagram? How about you buy the book and read it? And if you're not a much of a reader, how about you listen to it? You listen to a podcast, go listen to it. And then go do something. Mm. Go and apply it. Mm-hmm. I know this. One of our favorite mutual Irish musicians is Christy Moore, who's a, an icon in Irish folk music. Mm. His iconic song is I'm an Ordinary Man. Nothing special, nothing grand. I've had to work for everything I own. I'm an ordinary man. But I don't, by other people's standards, live a very ordinary life. Mm. I'm an ordinary man, but I don't do ordinary things. When I listen to something, I get after it. When I do an interview with Andy Andrews or Darren Hardy, and they have tips and advice, I try them. When they recommend a book, I go buy them. Yeah. You know, I love this show. It's a privilege to go do this stuff. I'm not sitting up here on my throne telling everybody here to be like me. I'm a student. I'm doing it myself. When these guys are sharing what they're doing, I go get it. I read. I listen. And then I try to apply it. Now, when someone says to me, as a common culture, here's the 72 things you need to do to be successful. I already know that's a flaulty. Because mm-hmm. there aren't 72 things that anybody's <laughs> going to do right. on top of what they're already doing. Yeah. But if I can get one thing... Or one thing that will take what I'm already doing deeper or whatever. So my goal is this. I've never wanted followers. I've never wanted groupies or whatever. I love to be around people who want to grow. Mm. And I love people who are a student of life. Right behind me here in the studio and all our fancy stuff, I have a sign that says, Ancaro Imparo, which is from Michelangelo. And it was near the end of his life. It was a sign behind it that said, I am still learning. Mm. And I think it keeps you young. I think it keeps you growing. I think it keeps you strong and uh, whatever I have to offer. So here's what I think. I think our podcast in years to come will be an awful lot better than it is today. And the reason is I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still getting better. And I want to provide even more inspiration and encouragement for the people who listen. And I hope they take application of it. Go do it and live the good life themselves and then inspire and then go help them. And maybe one day I'll be listening to their podcast. Awesome. That's infectious stuff, Bray. And, uh, Thanks for allowing me to do the takeover today. I mean, people are curious. You are awesome off the cuff, really. I mean, it's a brave thing to do, to go into an interview. I have no idea where it's going on your own show, even. So I'd like to say thanks to you for that today. You were very gracious. Uh, if you guys have more questions, fire them into us. Brian B. at BuffiniandCompany.com. And maybe some other time down the road, we'll get to break Buffini again. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. A lot of you have done it. We love seeing it because it really gives us feedback on what you're liking and so on. We're on Android, so you can download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. We love the feedback. It helps us to spread the word and also gives us an idea of the content that you're enjoying. Our goal is to influence positively as many as we can. So share it with others. And as we finish here today, I'm going to leave you with the blessing that Brian typically closes the show on. And that's one that his grandfather used to always say to him. May the roads rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 